On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, We're going to continue to unpack this this concept of sacred roots, that the church, what God has set forward, what Jesus began for us, matters even today. Uh, So get ready, open up to the book of Acts. You're going to want to get your finger in there, Acts chapter 2, if you want to start there. But uh, get your Bibles open. I want to talk to you this morning. Jesus uh, modeled and prioritized his life around other people, loving other people. Even in crowds, he had this amazing ability to be present with individuals. I know know that sounds crazy, in crowds, right? He didn't dabble with love. He devoted himself to his disciples. You can watch it happen. He washes their feet. He calms their fears. He restores their hearts. He restores them after they fail. And, And do you ever notice that Jesus arranges his life so he can be in an intimate connection with his followers. He wanted to be in proximity with his disciples. He did daily life with them. He's watching them and and loving them and teaching them and training them. And then through his spirit, now he's not just with us. The Bible says that he is in us, which is our hope of glory. And Jesus put his love into practice. He's healing the sick. He's comforting hypocrisy, uh, uh, confronting hypocrisy. He's welcoming the outcast. He is embracing the leper. And ultimately, he's giving his life in love. This is how the church was started. They said, wait a minute, so we're going to do that. Watching the life of Jesus, Jesus does all these things. Okay, so that's what we're supposed to do. Christians, followers of the Christ. That's why when the church looks and loves like Jesus in the midst of our culture, it is an irresistible thing. People have to, they just take look, they take notice, they go, what is that? Some of you may know that on the day of Pentecost, that's the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the church, and that happened in Acts chapter 2. And we celebrate that every year, 49 days after Resurrection Sunday. So that's just kind of one of our holidays in the church. We call it Pentecost Sunday. A historical note, by the way, the Jews weren't celebrating Pentecost. That's not what it was called. It was actually Shavuot, right? And that was originally started way back there in the Old Testament. That was the wheat harvest in Israel. And so they were celebrating Shavuot, but then it kind of morphed itself into a commemoration of the giving of the Torah, which was uh, the Old Testament back here, the first five books back here, the Pentateuch, et cetera. So so it kind of had morphed itself. Well, then all of a sudden, now it becomes Pentecost. It's another thing that's happened. So again, imagine what a cool study that would be, right? Starting with what, what, what is the connection between the harvest the giving of the law, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. There's something there. That's a sermon for another time. I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Listen, Peter here in Acts chapter 2, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit at the very beginning of Acts chapter 2. And then he gets up and he preaches about one of the many promises that have been given 
to the people of God. And he starts quoting from the Old Testament. Check this out, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 17. This is Peter. He says this, In the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. And in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I'm going to cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun's going to become dark. The moon's going to turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, now I want you to see this. In the last days, God's saying these things, right? Peter is explaining what just happened in the early parts of chapter 2. If you take your finger up there and you're looking in there and you're seeing what happened in earlier in chapter 2, Holy Spirit coming. But he's quoting from the book of Joel. And the book of Joel is a little tiny book. It's really easy to miss. There's only three chapters of it right after Daniel and Hosea in the Old Testament. It's really quick. But if you get a chance, read those three chapters. You can say, I read a whole book of the Bible today. You, you can do that right there, those three chapters in, in Joel. But Peter's quoting Joel here. And what's important to note as you read this is that this spirit being poured out isn't just on believers. P please notice this. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now, wait a minute. Hold, hold on a minute, right? Now, I got to tell you, this is the primary reason for all of us to be praying for the Holy Spirit to come to us today because of this verse here. He's going to pour his spirit out on all people. And then it gets into visions and dreams. See, visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Uh, unfortunately, many younger people no longer have a vision for the church. That's your first blank. Fill that one in. Visionaries want to make a difference. They want to change things. But the young have lost the vision for the church. That's the reason millennials... That's what they give. The reason they give for not going to the church, they say, it's irrelevant. Yeah, many have read the Bible. And many have probably seen the church within the pages of the Bible. But now they just see the church as buildings and programs. They go, what, what is that? Because I see that and I say, I want to be a part of that because that, that is changing the world. Now, I believe that's one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons, actually, that I try so hard to refer to us as a congregation. We're a congregation of believers. It's called the church. We are the church. I'm the church. You're the church. We are the church. But this is a congregation. So I don't want to get this confused with this, although it's a part of it. But see, this is a congregation of believers coming together. But our work is not to gather here. It's much more than that. We'll get into that this morning. That's why I refer to this property as our campus, right? I, I'll, I'll call this, these are our facilities. This is not the church. This is a building, stick and stucco. That, that's all this is. We are the church. All of this together is the church. This is where the church gathers. This is where the church worships. This is where the church begins, and I'm emphasizing begins. This is where the church begins its service, the service is not happening here. The service is happening out there. This is where it begins, though. 
It's out there that the church is supposed to be living set apart for a purpose. What are we doing? Well, so you have these, those young people who are having visions, and then these old people are having dreaming dreams. See, dreamers dream about things being different. Unfortunately, many older people, and you can fill this in, have lost their dreams for the church. That's hard. The hardness of life, difficulties, disappointments, the distance of time. They've somehow muted and dulled their expectations of what God can do in their lives. And so older people have lost their dreams for the church. They have been around long enough and they have been around believers who aren't believable long enough that they've stopped hoping for a better tomorrow. And they go, oh man, the people are going to just be the people. And so because they've misplaced their faith, and, and I want to say that more on that in a moment, they've misplaced their faith, they kind of go, I, I gave up on the church. And so they stop dreaming. But when the Spirit, but when the Spirit, when the Spirit is poured out, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. When it's poured out, something radical happens. Something begins to change. Younger people recover their vision, and they begin to see the possibilities for the people of God. The older people recover their dream, the dream of their heart, and they believe that their best days are probably yet to come. That's having a dream. I'll tell you what, I had a conversation once with Bob Hagee. He was 90 years old when his wife had passed away. He was going to a nursing home for years, every day, driving 50 miles, 25 miles down, 25 miles back, every day to visit his bride in a nursing home. And she had passed away. And I was having a conversation with Bob, and I said, wow, Bob, I love you, I'm for you, how can we support you? And he said, well, you know, I'm just praying. Listen to what he said. I'm just praying. He's 90 years old. I'm just praying, I'm asking the Lord, you know, because I was going down to the nursing home every day. I was visiting my wife and, and seeing her and, and I was able to minister to the people who were working in the nursing home. I was able to minister to the nurses. I was able to minister to these people. And I'm asking the Lord, what's my next ministry gonna be? At 90. So I ask you, is he one of the older? Is he one of the young? Is he gathering a vision? Is he dreaming again? I see, oh, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on my friend Bob Hagee. The church, in its very nature, and you can fill this in, is called to be a movement of dreamers and visionaries. The church is a prophesying force. It's the salting of injustice and decay in our world, preserving and unleashing the presence of God. Beloved, th this is what God has for us. God has more for us. A few weeks ago, my bride and I were processing the nature and the purposes of the church. We were just talking about the church as I was going into this series. And I was talking about it, and I had found that I had misplaced my faith. I had misplaced my faith. I was hoping and believing that people would actually do the right thing, and I ended up with a knot in my stomach. And it was, a, it was a hard day. I have since realigned and realized the hope of glory that I was talking about earlier. It's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Check this out. Look at this. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. It's for us too. And this is the secret. Ready? The secret that's been made known. 
Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The riches and glory of Christ living in us goes way beyond anything we could hope for on this planet. That's, That's what this is all about. In fact, I would go as far to say that the hope of glory absolutely has nothing to do with this life. The hope of glory is not about peace here. Not about peace here, although the Holy Spirit gives that too. The hope of glory is not about us one day living in, a, in the humanist optimism of Star Trek. Right? Thank you, John Wolski, for that illumination this week. It was so profound. I was like, wow, yeah, because way out in the future, we figured everything out. Humans finally figured it out. I, I don't think humans ever figure it out. We've got this thing called sin nature that's constantly in struggle with everybody else. It doesn't go away. But see, the humanist says, well, man is inherently good. Mm, we've got some problems here. Today, I want to unpack the hopeful way that Jesus is forming his people into a unique community right here in Santa Clarita. So today, the title today is Planting Sacred Roots in Secular Soil. See, we've got a valley that needs the church. The church matters, and we're the ones that have to take the good news of Jesus out. In the midst of all the crazy that's happening in our world, I'll tell you what, there are so many great things happening right here, right in front of us. Rather than bemoaning our online streaming, it's like, oh man, I'm so tired of this, I'm done with this. I'll tell you what, people are taking the call of Jesus seriously. I hear stories of how you are living in passionate devotion and pursuit of living in sacrifice across the neighborhoods in our valley. Mike and April Rigo, using their gifts and talents to further the kingdom where they can. School campuses, the work site. Craig and Jen Lord, having a vision of the kingdom that's bigger than the comfort of life established. Matt and Kelly Fitzgerald, they're making a move with intentionality so they can love and weave their lives together with other people. Les Robinson, man, the guy is studying and the scriptures, reading them together with men of all ages, coming together for prayer, welcoming the stranger all the time. Barbara Plashert, unwavering faithfulness in the midst of the quarantine. I go, wow, when I grow up, I wanna be more like these people. If I ever grow up, I hope to grow up. But so many of us are not only hearing, but actually practicing the teachings of Jesus. I get to see it happening. I get to hear about it. Sharing their resources, serving the poor, pursuing holiness. Slowly but powerfully, the mustard seeds of the good news of Jesus are breaking through the secular soil of Santa Clarita and becoming living plants. That mustard seed was a great picture that the Bible gives us. In Mark chapter four, check this out. Mark chapter four, starting in verse 30, he says this. Jesus is talking to us and he says, how can I describe the kingdom of God? So I want you guys to get it. So I'm gonna give you a practical picture here, ready? The kingdom of God, well, what story should I use to illustrate it? Uh, I know, it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all the seeds but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. 
When the mustard seed grows, it increases in size, becomes a tree. It provides safety in its branches, rest in its shade. See, Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And as long as the seed remains intact, the properties remain dormant. But something happens. In this parable, Jesus says, when you plant that mustard seed, something different happens. But thinking about the kingdom of God as a mustard seed, I got to thinking about it. I was like, wait a minute. What happens when the mustard seed is crushed? I mean, I, I get this one. Jesus is saying, here's what happens when you plant the mustard seed. But man, I'll tell you what. When you crush the mustard seed, that's when the potency is revealed. The potency of it. And I'll tell you what. The church is struggling right now. And whenever the church is experiencing crushing, there's something else very significant that's happening. There's another purpose. Like the grape to wine, like the olive to oil, there is more than meets the eye. And during this time of, of bruising, during this time of being crushed, those phrases, that word sounds familiar, the, he was bruised for our iniquity, crushed for our sins, right? See, Jesus provided for us, and so right now, it's hard. These days are hard. I want to be with you. We want to be with one another. But something is happening. God's creating something in us. And I'll tell you what, if it's, if it's this mustard thing, it was, listen to me, it's meant to be spread. <laughs> we, we've got to get this out there. We, we've got to keep moving out. But that's another teaching for another time. I've got to keep moving on. Okay, all right. How do we press into this compelling expression of the church and get the roots of the good news of Jesus into the soil of our community. First, we have to navigate change. I went over that several weeks ago. It's not just navigate it, but we got to navigate it well. And then secondly, I went over this last week, we got to get below the surface of church as entertainment and church for the individual. We have to stop seeing it as, well, church is where the experts, you know, put on these exciting events to meet my personal expectations. It's much more than that. And listen, if you missed either of those, go onto the website, go onto iTunes, go onto Facebook. You can catch up. Please, I want you to hear the fullness of this conversation because this is just one piece. It's time for us to respond to the call of Jesus in a different way. Beyond the consumer and commodity mindset that's so prevalent in our culture. That's a culture thing. Approach thing as a, approaching things as a consumer. Approaching things as a commodity. This is for me. See, we're not destined to be passive spectators, but active agents of grace and redemption in the middle of the brokenness of our world. This is our call as believers. The call of Jesus reminds us that the church is more daring more subversive, more transforming, and more proactive than we have been numbed to believe. God has something for us. Our society has conditioned us to respond to Jesus' call to follow him, right? We, we, we know we're supposed to be disciples, but I went over these three things last week, these different levels. I mentioned these last week. There was first, there was the public level. What do I, what do, I do with my career right? The church gathers in order to inspire me. I need spiritual fuel for the rest of the week. And then the second one was the private level. What do I do with my social life, right? The church is a life coach. 
getting me to embrace balanced living. And then there was that third level, the personal level. What do I do with my heart where we're positioning ourselves as the master and Jesus as the servant? But I, I want to tell you something. I believe beneath all of that, beneath those common responses to Jesus' call to discipleship, there's a profoundly deeper decision that we can make. And it's a call I believe all of our hearts are longing to hear. Would you fill this in, please? It's the primal level. You knew it had to be another P. Come on, Pastor Marty. Public, private, personal, and primal. It's the deepest. It's what's deepest, intrinsic in each one of us. It's where we're denying ourselves for the sake of communal discipleship and mission. I'll tell you what, this kind of transformation is going to take a lot of good, hard work. Communal discipleship and mission. I believe that recovering the church's purpose and all of its beauty is going to require some conscious shifts in our thinking as the church in community. And I'm going to be taking the next several weeks to talking about four of the shifts that we're going to need to be making. I'm going to start next Sunday with from moving from dabbling to devotion. It's kind of like, well, I kind of do a little bit of that on Sunday, but that's not. No, I'm, we have to move in devotion to what God has called us to. Now, when I use that word communal, again, it's about shared life. I want you to hear that. It's living with a community mindset. It's about more than me. How, how can I function with you? How can, I, how can we function together? We are being forced right now into the house church model, which is what the early church started right there. The Bible says they met in temple, but they also met house to house to house to house. So I want to encourage you, arrange a watch party. Go for it. Get some people together with some friends. But then I begin to hear it. But I don't know anybody. That, my beloved, is the problem. The church is called to communal discipleship. If, if the thought of a watch party stresses you out because you don't have any friends to get together with, then you listen to me. I love you. You've missed the point of the church. Well, I, I like coming here on Sunday mornings. This isn't, this isn't, this is only one piece of what the church is called to. And so I have to tell you, when we look at the early church, and that's what I want to do today, we already saw part of it as Peter was talking, you know, he said, in, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit. I want to look at, check this out, in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. Check this out. Here's, here's the description of the church. All the believers, listen to this, this is way more than just showing up on a Sunday morning. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, we're going to be doing that today, and to prayer. And this deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions. They shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. And they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God. And watch this. This is key. Enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, while they're doing all of those things, 
the Lord's adding to their fellowship all those people who are being saved. I'll tell you what, this is way more than teaching and fellowship that we get on a Sunday morning. See, we're all going, I want to go back to church, and I do too. I want to go back to the church. The way we function is we're coming together, but it's more than that. When I read Acts chapter 2, I'm seeing something profoundly amazing happening here. But listening to the teaching, they devote themselves to teaching, and, and you know, there's all these things that are going on, but we're just so focused on this one thing here. Well, when do we get back into the building where we can sing together? I said, well, actually, that's two things, right? The teaching and, and the worship. But look at all the other things the church is supposed to be doing, which we can do. God has a grand plan, and it is at work right now. We need to stop complaining and resenting him because it's not unfolding the way we think it should. We have to begin living in gratitude, which involves the discovery that God is the God of history and that things are quietly and slowly unfolding as they should. God is doing these things. There's a purpose in it. I don't completely understand it, but his ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and ways higher than mine. I don't get it. We have to begin shifting our thinking so that we look at the power to transform our congregation is more than just one day a week for 90 minutes together. The power to transform the world, starting with the church, has to be beyond that 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. I want to transform the church, these congregations, into more than just consumer centers. I want, I want us to be a compelling counterculture for the common good, for the renewal of our world. I can't help but see that in these days, and please fill this in, the stuff that we're made for is giving us the opportunity to see the stuff we're made of. Whoo! The testing of our values and beliefs these days through our reactions and responses, it's showing the stuff that we're made of. But God has more for us. Christianity has been intricately intertwined with the history and the formation of every society. Throughout history, the church has been a major source of social services, of medical care and hospitals, of schooling and higher education, inspiration for the arts, culture, and philosophy. This has been the role of the church, influence in politics and moral society. The church has been on the forefront, starting hospitals, starting universities, making sure people get education. In essence, I want you to know, you and I, the church, we were set apart to make a difference, but we got to be in the culture to do so. I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. If you're ready to gain some connection with our community and win over the hearts of our city, and I, I got to tell you, I, I need you to prayerfully consider these five concepts. Here's the first one, changing our mentality. There are so many concerns we have as believers about the world, and, and some of them, quite honestly, can be kind of scary because there's difficult problems to solve. But what if instead of calling out people for the things they've done or not done, we showed compassion for their situation and simply loved them like Jesus? What if instead we just came alongside and were graciously present in their troubles? Here's the second thing. We've got to start developing a strategy. 
Planning for the future is something we've always done. All humans are doing it, right? We naturally do it. But how about planning for the unplanned? Yeah, this is again about navigating change. I talked about it, right? It's time to make time in our schedule for the ministry of inconvenience. I, I don't have time for this, but this is where I'm at, and this is what God has presented in front of me. I need to take advantage of this situation. We cannot, we think we, we can't, but I think we can, plan for a, mir a miracle. Let's plan for a miracle. Pastor Jen said it a couple weeks ago. She said this, and I wrote it down. I say I want miracles in my life, but I don't always want the circumstances that bring the miracles. Change is what brings the miracles. And she's being installed right now as a senior pastor over at Valencia Foursquare. Right now this morning, Pastor Jen is being installed as she's preaching her first message in that church as the new senior pastor. Rocking my house, man. Here's the third one. We gotta start taking small steps, little tiny steps. If we just start small, we gotta engage our community. I'll tell you what, again, it can be overwhelming. You can go, oh man, there's so much to do. But no congregation, regardless of its size, is gonna be able to win over its city in a day, right? That's why we need to look at the little problems that we can solve. What's the little thing? I can, I can feed here, I can, I can clothe here, I can donate, I can volunteer. We can find better ways of serving. And I'll tell you what, that, that builds our confidence. Just start taking small steps. And probably the smallest and the best step that we could take is to find somebody to do it all with. Hey, you want to go volunteer down at the homeless shelter? Hey, you want to go help me? We're going to volunteer at the pregnancy center. Hey, you want to come with me? I'm going to go sort this, that, and the other. Hey, I'm going to help at this, the senior center. See, there's so much we can do. Which leads me to number four. We have to multiply the impact. Mm. You've got to go out together to serve in the community. Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs. Luke chapter 10, verses one and two. He said, I want you guys to go out two by two. Go out. Go out into the community. He told them this. The harvest is great. Oh yeah. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest who's in charge of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. That's what we need. We need workers in the field. And a congregation's programs can only do so much. It's like, hey, we're doing this in the community. Hey, we're doing this in the community. We're doing freeway clearing. We're doing donating food. That's only so much. But imagine what happens if we all are empowered by the Spirit, ultimately, to take our faith community into the community. That's what God's calling us to. So be on the lookout for ways to form partnerships with other organizations in the community. Oh, we could, you know what? We don't have to reinvent it. The senior, senior center, man, they're doing great things. Why don't we go help the senior center do what they're doing? The pregnancy center is doing great things. Let's go help the pregnancy center do what they're doing. The homeless shelter, the, right? There's all kinds of things that are happening all around us. And it empowers the church to do what the church is designed to do. Here's the last one, number five, engage the other side. The other side, we're doing, listen, if we're doing all those previous steps right, this one should come very easy. It just it is second nature. We gotta continually look for new ways to reach people in our community that haven't been reached before. That's how we can make Christianity more than a religion, but actually make it a movement. To help you pinpoint the unreached areas of our community, I want you to think about some, some different spheres that you are in every day, but maybe you're not thinking of them, of them as places for outreach. Business, 
education, sports, social services, media, arts and culture, government. These are all things that are happening. We interact all the time. Imagine if we could just take the good news of Jesus there. We all engage these spheres, again, every day. But think how much bigger the impact of the church could be if we were intentional to positively affect the culture around us. Faith and culture are actually inseparable because the culture is always an expression of the faith which informs it. Always. Let me say it again. Faith and culture are inseparable because a culture is always an expression of the faith which informs it. If a culture is animated by a belief in the triune, what we just finished, the good, the true, the beautiful, it's going to shine forth truth, beauty, and goodness. And we want to be Christians who transform our arenas, our, our areas, our spheres to bring transformation there in our communities. Les, a couple uh, weeks ago, called it to be history makers. But to do that, we got to confront the issues that we're going to encounter in the spheres that we're interacting with. Faith is in conflict with life outside the church, but I need you to be encouraged, beloved. Listen to me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can affect our cities and communities with God's love, with Christ's love. The success and the effectiveness of our congregation, listen to me, has nothing to do with the seats that are filled or not filled in this room on a Sunday morning. That's not what makes the difference. It's how the church is serving the needs and the pains of our community all week long. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's what makes a difference. Today, we are celebrating what we call communion or the Lord's table. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Now, some of you are familiar with this, but I know there are people who, who are watching this stream right now who aren't a regular part of church. And I, I want to tell you something. We're going to have a, this thing called communion. Maybe, maybe you've seen it before. I, I know I, I used to, you, they, you go to a wedding or a funeral and they, they all stand in line. They get that little piece of bread and they take a sip of the cup of something. And like, What's going on here? You know, that's communion. But I want you to know something. It's actually symbolic. That moment called communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, we get all kinds of names for it. It's, it's symbolic. The, the bread is the body of Jesus, which was broken for us at the cross. That's how we are saved. That's how we are rescued from ourselves and the making of our mess. And then that cup, it's wine. Sometimes it's grape juice. That is symbolic again of the blood of Jesus that is sacrificial. It's, it's a symbol of the sacrifice that Jesus, his body was broken, his blood was poured out. And so that's what communion is. But before we get there, before we go into worship this morning, are you here this morning and you don't know about the sacrifice for yourself that Jesus made for you? See, God loves you so much. Oh, loves you. He says, I got to have a way to make a relationship with you again. We got to get our relationship right again. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my son Jesus and he's going to make a way because somebody's got to pay for the mess, the sin that happens in life and you got to pay for it. 
See, my parents don't pay for my crimes. My children don't pay for my crimes. I have to pay for my crimes, right? We know this. But God all of a sudden made something different. He goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let my son Jesus pay for your crimes. And so his body was broken, that cracker, that piece of bread. We take off a piece of bread. And then his blood was spilled, that, that juice, that wine. That's what we celebrate. Are you able to celebrate that today with us? I would like you to. If you are watching this, if you are hearing me right now, I'm, I'm telling you, this sacrifice, this body, this blood that I'm talking about, that Jesus has done, all that he's done for us, that was for you too. All you have to do is say, yes, that's what I want. I want to be rescued from my mess. The one that I created, the one that I have to pay the price for. You mean somebody will pay the ransom that I owe? Yes. Jesus. If that's you, would you pray with me right now? God, I want you to come into my life. I want wholeness. I want freedom. I want fullness. I want my life to thrive. Sin has weighed me down. It has encumbered my life. I ask Jesus, come into my life. First, forgive me. Second, set me free. Third, put me on a path so I don't go back to that old one. Jesus, come, live, not just with me, but in me and through me. So listen, I'll tell you what, if you, if you prayed that this morning, and, and I hope that you did, if you were listening to this and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I hope that you prayed that with me. But if you did pray that this morning, would you do me a favor? Just text the word Jesus. It's up on your screen right now. Text the word Jesus to 661-276-9090. 661-276-9090. Text the word Jesus. Yeah, that, that was me today. I want to be free. <laughs> right? I want to be liberated. I want to be, I want to let go of the past that I keep messing up my life and I keep hurting myself and those who I say I love so much, I'm hurting them all the time. You're part of the beloved. I want you here. If you've prayed this with me this morning, you're part of the church. This is you now. 